Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martin, narrated by Amy Landon. Prelude In Texcalan, these things are ceaseless, star charts and disembarkments. Here is all of Texcalanly space, spread out in holograph above the strategy table on the warship Ascension's Red Harvest. Five jump gates and two weeks sublight travel away from Texcalan's city planet capital, about to turn around and come home. The holograph is a cartographer's version of Serenity. All these glitter-pricked lights are planetary systems, and all of them are ours. This scene, some captains staring out at the holograph recreation of Empire, past the demarcated edge of the world. Pick a border. Pick a spoke of that great wheel that is Texcalan's vision of itself. And find it repeated. A hundred such captains. A hundred such holographs. And each and every one of those captains has led troops down into a new system, carrying all the poison gifts she can muster. Trade agreements and poetry. Taxes and the promise of protection black-muzzled energy weapons, and the sweeping architecture of a new governor's palace built around the open, many-rayed heart of a sun temple. Each and every one of those captains will do it again. Render one more system into a brilliantine dot on a star chart holograph. Here is the grand sweep of civilization's paw, stretched against the black between the stars, a comfort to every ship's captain when she looks out into the void and hopes not to see anything looking back. Here, in star charts, the division of the universe into empire and otherwise, into the world and not the world. Ascension's Red Harvest and her captain have one last stop before they begin their trip back to the center of their universe. In Parsra-Wantlock sector lies LaSalle Station, one fragile, turning jewel a toroid 20 miles in diameter, rotating around a central spoke, hanging in the balance point between a handy sun and its nearest useful planet. The largest of a string of mining stations that make up this small region of space, a region touched by the reaching hand of Texcalan, but not yet subject to the weight of it. The shuttle spits itself from the station's spoke, travels a few hours' distance to the waiting gold-and-gray metallic hulk of the warship, deposits its cargo, one human woman, some luggage, some instructions, and comes back again unharmed. By the time it has returned, Ascension's red harvest has begun ponderously to move on a vector toward the center of Texcalan, still subject to sublight physics. It will be visible from LaSalle for a day and a half yet, shrinking slowly, to a pinpoint of brightness, and then winking out. Daj Tarats, the LaSalle counselor for the miners, watches that retreating shape, the vast slumbering menace of it, hanging like a weight and eating up half the horizons visible from the viewport of the LaSalle council meeting room. That omnipresent blotting out of familiar stars is to him just the latest evidence of Texcalanli hunger for stationer space. There may soon come a day when such a ship does not retreat, but turns the bright fire of its energy weapons on the fragile metal shell that contains 30,000 lives, Tarazas included, 
and spills them all into the killing chill of space, like seeds from a smashed fruit. There is, Tarats believes, a kind of inevitability to empire unchecked. No star chart holograph glows above the strategy table around which the LaSalle Council sits at meetings. Only a bare metal surface, polished by a multitude of elbows. Tarats contemplates again the simplicity of how that retreating ship still feels like such a present threat, and stops looking out the viewport, retaking his seat. Empire unchecked might be inevitable, but Daj Tarats has within him a quiet, determined, and conniving optimism that unchecked is not the only option available, and has not been for some time. Well, that's done with, says Aknal Amnarbat, the counselor for heritage. She's off, our new ambassador to the empire, as requested by said empire, which I sincerely hope she keeps far away from us. Daj Terats knows better. He's the man who sent the last ambassador from Lasselle to Texcalan 20 years ago, when he was still middle-aged and enamored with high-risk projects. There is nothing done with about sending a new ambassador, even if she's already been packed off in a shuttle, irretrievable. He puts his elbows on that table, as he's been doing for all of those 20 years, and rests his narrow chin in his narrower palms. It would have been better, he says, if we could have sent her with an imigo that wasn't 15 years out of date, for her sake and ours. Counselor Amnardbat, whose own imigo machine, a precisely calibrated neurological implant, which allows her to carry in her mind the recorded memories of six prior counselors for heritage, passed down the imigo line one to the next, cannot imagine standing up to someone like Daj Tarats without the benefit of the most recent 15 years of experience. If she was a new member of the council, and 15 years out of date, she would be crippled. But she shrugs, not precisely minding the idea of the newest ambassador to the empire being so deprived of resources. She says, that's your problem. You sent Ambassador Agavan, and Agavan hasn't bothered to come back here more than once in his 20-year tenure to give us an updated Imago recording. And now we've sent Ambassador Desmar with only what he left us 15 years ago to replace him, just because Tixkalan asked, Agavan's done his job, says Councillor Tarots. And around the table, the counselors for hydroponics and for the pilots nod in agreement. The job Ambassador Agavan has done is keeping LaSalle Station and all the rest of the little stations in their sector from being easy prey to a Tixkalanli expansionist agenda. And in return for this, they have collectively agreed to ignore his shortcomings. Now that Tixkalan has abruptly demanded a new ambassador without explaining what has become of the old one, most of the council are delaying an accounting of Ambassador Gavin's flaws until they know if he is dead, compromised, or simply fallen prey to some internal imperial shakeup of politics. Daj Tarats has always supported him. Agavan was his protege. And Tarats, as counselor for the miners, is first among the six equals on the LaSalle Council. And Dismar will do hers, says Councillor Amnardbat. Mahit Dismar 
had been her choice of the possible new ambassadors. A perfect match, she'd thought, for the out-of-date imago she'd carry. The same aptitudes, the same attitude, the same xenophilic love for a heritage that was not the heritage Amnarbat protected. A documented fascination with Teixcalanli literature and language. Perfect to be sent away, with the only copy of Ambassador Agavan's imago that existed. Perfect to carry that corrupt and corrupting imago line away from LaSalle. Perhaps for good. If Amnarbat herself had done right. I'm sure Desmar will be adequate enough, says the counselor for the pilots, Dekakel Onchu. And now can we consider the problem currently before the council, namely what we are going to do about the situation at the Anhamamid Gate? Dekakel Onchu is exceptionally concerned about the Anhamamid Gate, the more distant of LaSalle Station's two jump gates, the one that leads into parts of space unclaimed by Texcalanli hands. Lately, she has lost not one scout ship, which could have been an accident, but two, and both in the same spot of black. She has lost them to something she has no way to talk to. The communique sent back before those ships went dark, garbled and staticky with radiation interference, have made no sense. Worse, she has lost not only the pilots of those ships, but the long imago lines of memory that they belong to. The combined minds of those pilots and their imago lines cannot be salvaged and placed into new pilot minds without the recovery of the bodies and imago machines that had been destroyed. And that is impossible. The rest of the council is not so concerned, not yet. But they will be by the end of this meeting, after Onshu has played them the remains of the recordings. All but Daj Tarats. Daj Tarats has a terrible sort of hope instead. He thinks, at long last, perhaps there is an empire larger than the empire that has been devouring us by inches. Perhaps now it comes. Perhaps now I will be able to stop waiting. But this he keeps to himself. Chapter One And from behind the curve of the large gaseous planet at coordinate B5682.76R1, the Emperor Twelve Solar Flare arose on the bow of her ship, and she was a radiant blaze flooding all of the void. The rays of her light, reaching outward like the spear spokes of her throne, struck the metal shells, which were the dwelling places of human beings in Sector B5682, and illuminated them brightly. The sensors of Twelve Solar Flare's ship recorded ten of them, each alike to the other, and this number has not increased since. Within the shells, the men and women knew not seasons, nor growth, nor decay, but lived endlessly in orbit without benefit of a planetary home. The largest of these shells called itself LaSalle Station, which, in the language of its people, meant a station that both listened and heard. But the people there had grown strange, and cleaved to themselves, though they were capable of learning language, and immediately began to do so. The Expansion History, Book 5, Line 72-87, to 87, Anonymous, 
but attributed to the historian-poet Pseudo-13 River, riding in the reign of the emperor of all takes Kalan, three pedigree. In order to expedite your travel into the Imperium, Teixcalan requests the following as proofs of identity. A. A genetic record, stating your sole possession of your own genotype, unshared with clone sibs. Or, a notarized document, stating that your genotype is at least 90% unique, and that no other individual holds legal claim to it. B. An itemized list of goods, chattels, currencies, and objects of idea commerce, which you intend to bring with you. C. A work permit from a registered employer in a takes Kalanli system, signed and notarized, with salary and maintenance information. Or, a record of superlative performance on takes Kalanli imperial examinations. Or, an invitation by a person, government entity, bureau, ministry, or other authorized individual, specifying your entrance and exit dates from Imperium space. Or, Evidence of Sufficient Self-Supporting Currency Form 721-Q Visa Application Made from Foreign Sectors Alphabetic Language Variant, Page 6 Mahit came down to the city, heart planet and capital of the Teixcalanli Empire, in a seed skiff, a bubble of a ship, hardly big enough for her body and her luggage both. She squirted from the side of the Imperial cruiser, Ascension's Red Harvest, and burned atmosphere on her planetward trajectory, which distorted the view. Thus, the first time she saw the city with her own flesh eyes, not in infofiche or holograph or imago memory, it was haloed in white fire and shone like an endless glittering sea, an entire planet rendered into an ecumenopolis, palatially urban. Even its dark spots, older metropolises not yet clad in metal, decaying urban blight, the harnessed remains of lakes, looked populated. Only the oceans remained untouched, and they gleamed too, a brilliantine blue turquoise. The city was very beautiful, and very big. Mahit had been on a fair number of planets, the ones closest to LaSalle Station that weren't completely inimical to human life and she was nevertheless overcome by awe. Her heart beat faster. Her palms went clammy where they gripped her harness. The city appeared exactly as it was always described in Teixcalanli documents and songs. The jewel at the heart of the empire, complete with atmospheric glow. That's what looking at it is meant to make you think, said her imigo. He was a faint, staticky taste on the back of her tongue a flash of gray eyes and sun-dark skin in her peripheral vision. The voice in the back of her head, but not quite her voice. Someone around her age, but male, and quicksilver smug, and as excited to be here as she was. She felt her mouth curve in his smile, a heavier and wider thing than the muscles in her face preferred. They were new to each other. His expressions were very strong, Get out of my nervous system, Yaskander, she thought at him, gently chiding. An imago, the implanted, integrated memory of one's predecessor, housed half in her neurology and half in a small, ceramic and metal machine, clasped to her brainstem, wasn't supposed to take over the host's nervous system, 
unless the host consented. At the beginning of the partnership, though, consent was complicated. The version of Yaskander inside her mind remembered having a body, and sometimes he used Mahit's as if it were his own. She worried about it. There was still so much space between them when they were supposed to be becoming one person. This time, though, he withdrew easily, sparking prickles, electric laughter. As you will. Show me, Mahid. I want to see it again. When she gazed down at the city again, closer now, the skyport rising to meet her skiff like a flower made of scooping nets, she let the imago look through her eyes and felt his rush of exhilaration as if it were her own. What's down there? she thought. For you. The world, said her imago, who had been ambassador from LaSalle in the city when he was still a living person and not part of a long chain of live memory. He said it in the Tixkalanli language, which made it a tautology. The word for world and the word for the city were the same, as was the word for empire. It was impossible to specify, especially in the high imperial dialect. One had to note the context. Yaskander's context was obfuscating, which Mahit had come to expect of him. She coped. Despite all her years of studying takes Kalanli language and literature, his fluency had a different quality than hers, the sort that only came from immersive practice. The world, he said again, but also the edges of the world. The empire, but also where the empire stops. Mahit matched his language and spoke out loud in takes Kalanli, since there was no one but her in the seed skiff. You've said something meaningless. Yes, Iskander agreed. When I was ambassador, it was my habit to say all sorts of meaningless things. You should try it. It's quite enjoyable. In the privacy of her body, Yaskander used the most intimate forms of address, as if he and Mahit were clone sibs or lovers. Mahit had never spoken them out loud. She had a natural younger brother back on LaSalle Station the closest she would ever get to a clone sib. But her brother only spoke the stationer's language, and calling him you, intimate other self in takes Kalanli, would have been both pointless and unkind. She could have said you to a few people who had been in those language and literature courses with her. Her old friend and classmate, Shurja Torel, would have taken the compliment correctly, for instance. But Mahit and Shurja hadn't spoken, since Mahid had been picked to be the new ambassador to take Skalan and carry the imago of the previous one. The why of that little breakage between them was obvious and petty, and Mahit regretted it. And it wasn't something she was going to get a chance to repair, except by apologetic letter from the center of the empire both she and Shurja had wanted to see, which almost certainly wouldn't help. The city had come closer, it filled up the horizon, a vast curve she was falling into. To Yaskander, she thought, I am the ambassador now. I might speak meaningfully, if I wanted. You speak correctly, Yaskander said, which was the sort of compliment that Takes Kalan Litzlem gave to a still crashed child. 
gravity caught at the seed skiff and sank into the bones in Mahit's thighs and forearms, giving her the sensation of spin. It was dizzying. Below her, the skyport's nets flared open. For a moment, she thought she was falling, that she would fall all the way to the planet's surface and smear to paste on the ground. It was the same for me, Iskander said quickly, in that stationer's language that was Mahit's native tongue. Don't be afraid, Mahit. You are not falling. It is the planet. The skyport caught her with hardly a bump. She had time to gather herself together. There was some business with the seed skiff being shunted into a long line of other such vessels, moving along a great conveyor until each one could be identified and come to its assigned gate. Mahit found herself rehearsing what she would say to the imperial citizens on the other side, as if she was a first-year student preparing for an oral examination. In the back of her mind, the imago was a watchful, thrumming presence. Every so often he moved her left hand, the fingers tapping along her harness, someone else's nervous gesture. Mahit wished they'd had longer to get used to each other. But she hadn't undergone the normal process of having an imago implanted, complete with a year or more of integration therapy under the precise care of one of LaSalle's psychotherapists. She and Yaskandra had had a scant three months together, and now they were approaching the place where they'd need to work together, work as one person compiled out of a memory chain and a new host. When Ascension's Red Harvest had arrived, hanging in parallel orbit around LaSalle Station's sun, and had demanded a new ambassador to take back to Texcalan, they had refused to explain what had happened to the previous one. Mahit was sure there had been a great deal of politics on the LaSalle Council as to what, and who, to send back, and with what demands for information. But this she knew was true. She herself had been one of the few stationers both old enough for the job and young enough not to have already been brought into an imago line, and one of the fewer still within that group who had any of the appropriate aptitudes or training for diplomacy. Of those, Mahit had been the best. Her scores on the imperial examinations in Texcalanli language and literature had approached those of an imperial citizen, and she'd been proud of that, spent the half year since the exams imagining that she would come to the city sometime in her middle age, once she was established, and collect experiences, attending whatever salons were open to non-citizens that season, gathering up information for whoever she'd share her memory with after she died. Now she'd get to the city, all right. More important than any takes Kalanli examination, her scores on the imago aptitudes had come up green, green, green for this match. Her imago would be Iskander Agavan, the previous ambassador to takes Kalan, who was now somehow unsuitable to that empire. Dead, or disgraced, or held captive if still alive. Mahit's instructions from her government included determining precisely what had gone so wrong with him. But she still had his imigo. He, or at least the last version of him available to give her, 15 years out of date, was the closest thing LaSalle could provide to a native guide to the Texcalanli court. Not for the first time, 
Mahid wondered whether or not there would be a Yaskander waiting for her in the flesh when she stepped outside. She was not sure which would be easier. Having one, a disgraced ambassador, a competitor for her, but perhaps salvageable, or not having one, which meant he had died without ever giving to any younger person what he had learned in his lifetime. The Imigo Yaskander in her head was hardly older than she was, which was both helpful in finding commonality and uncomfortable. Most Imigos were elders or victims of early death accidents. But the last record of Yaskander's knowledge and memory had been taken when he'd last returned to Lasselle on leave from his post in Takes Kalan, only five years after he had first gone down to the city. It had been another decade and a half since then. So he was young, and so was she. And whatever advantage to integration that might have granted the two of them was belied by how short a time they'd been together. Two weeks between the courier's arrival and when Mahit learned that she'd be the next ambassador, three more weeks for her and Yaskander to learn how to live together in the body that used to belong to her alone, under the supervision of the station's psychotherapists, a long, slow time on Ascension's Red Harvest, traversing the sublight distances between the jump gates that were scattered like jewels throughout Tixkalanli space. The seed skiff peeled open like a ripe fruit. Mahit's harness retracted. Taking hold of her luggage in both hands, she stepped onto the gate, and thus into Tixkalan itself. The skyport gate had an airy utilitarianism constructed of wear-resistant carpet and clearly marked signage between glass and steel paneled walls. Standing in the center of the gate's connecting tunnel, a precise halfway between the seed skiff and the skyport proper, was a single Tixkalanli imperial official in a perfectly cut cream suit. She was small, narrow at the shoulder and hip, much shorter than Mahit and she wore her hair in a fishtail braid queue of black that spilled over her left lapel. Her sleeves, wide like bells, shaded through flame orange at the upper arm. Information ministry coloring, Iskander told Mahit, down to the deep red cuffs that were the privilege of the titled members of the court. Over her left eye, she wore a cloud hook, a glass eyepiece full of the ceaseless obscuring flow of the Imperial Information Network. Hers was sleekly decorative, much like the rest of her. Her large, dark eyes and thin cheekbones and mouth were more delicate than was fashionable on Tixkalan. But by Mahit's stationer standards, she was interesting, if not quite pretty. She touched her fingers together, politely in front of her chest, and inclined her head to Mahit. Yaskander lifted Mahit's own hands to make the same gesture, and Mahit dropped the two bags she'd been carrying on the floor with an embarrassing clatter. She was horrified. They hadn't slipped like that since the first week they'd been together. Fuck, she thought, and heard at the same moment Yaskander say, fuck. The doubling wasn't reassuring. The official's carefully neutral expression did not change. She said, Ambassador, I am three seagrass a secreta and patrician second class. It is my honor to welcome you into the jewel of the world. I will be serving as your cultural liaison at the command of his imperial majesty, Six Direction. There was a long pause, 
and then the official gave a small sigh and went on. Do you require some sort of assistance with your belongings? Three Seagrass was an old-fashioned Texcalanli name. The numeral half was low value, and the noun half was the name of a plant, even if it was a plant Mahit hadn't seen used in a name before. All the noun parts of Texcalanli names were plants or tools or inanimate objects, but most of the plant ones were flowers. Seagrass was memorable. A secreta meant she was not only information ministry, as her suit suggested, but a trained agent of rank, as well as holding the court title of patrician second class, an aristocrat, but not a very important or rich one. Mahit left her hands where Yaskandra had put them, which was where they belonged, no matter how angry she was at how they'd gotten there, and bowed over them. Ambassador Mahit Dismar of LaSalle Station, at your service and that of his majesty. May his reign be a radiant blaze upon the void. Since this was her first official contact with a member of the Texcalanli court, she used the imperial honorific she'd picked carefully in consultation with Yaskander and the council government on LaSalle. Radiant blaze was the epithet for the emperor 12 solar flare in the expansion history as attributed to Pseudo-13 River the oldest account of imperial presence in stationary space. Using it now was thus a sign of both Mahit's erudition and her respect for Sixth Direction and his office. But the Void carefully avoided any intimation of Texcalanli claim on parts of stationary space which were not, in fact, space. Whether Three Seagrass was aware of the implications of reference was somewhat difficult to tell. She waited patiently, while Mahit scooped up her luggage again, and then said, Keep a tight grip on those. You are urgently awaited in the judiciary concerning the previous ambassador, and you may need to greet all sorts of people along the way. Fine. Mahit wouldn't underestimate Three Seagrass's capability to be snide, nor her capability to be clever. She nodded, and when the other woman turned smartly and walked up the tunnel, she followed. Don't underestimate any of them, Iskander said. A cultural liaison has been at court for half as long as you've been alive. She earned the post. Don't lecture me when you've just made me look like a flustered barbarian. Do you want me to apologize? Are you sorry? Mahit could imagine his facial expression all too easily. Arch, as calm as a Texcalan Leedslim. The lusher mouth she remembered from holographs of him, dragging her own lips up and askew. I wouldn't want you to feel like a barbarian. You'll get enough of that from them. He wasn't sorry. It was marginally possible that he was embarrassed, but if he was, he wasn't feeling it with her endocrine system. Yaskandar got her through the next half hour. Mahit couldn't even resent him for it. He behaved exactly like an imigo ought to behave, a repository of instinctive and automatic skill that Mahit hadn't had time to acquire for herself. He knew when to duck through doorways, built for Texcalan Leedslem instead of stationers, when to avert her eyes from the rising glare of the city reflected in the glass of the elevator that crawled down the outside of the skyport, how high to step to climb into Three Seagrass's ground car. He performed courtesy ritual like a native, 
After the incident with the luggage, he was careful about actually moving Mahid's hands. But she let him have charge of how long she maintained eye contact and with whom. The degree to which her head was inclined in greeting. All the little ways of signaling that she was less of an alien, less of a barbarian, something that might belong in the city. Protective coloration. Going native without ever having to be a native. She could feel curious eyes slide off of her and fixate on the far more interesting court dress of three seagrass and wondered how much Yaskander had loved the city to be this good at being in it. In the ground car, three seagrass asked, have you been within the world long? Mahit needed to stop thinking in any language but takes Kalanli. What three seagrass meant was a standard bit of politesse small talk, a, have you ever been to my country before? And Mahit had heard it like an existential question. No, she said, but I have read the classics since I was a very small child, and I have thought often of the city. Three seagrass seemed to approve of this answer. I wouldn't want to bore you, ambassador, she said but if you'd like a brief and verbal tour of what we're passing by, I'd be pleased to recite an appropriate poem. She flicked a control button on her side of the car, and the windows faded to transparency. I couldn't be bored, Mahid said honestly. Outside, the city was a blur of steel and pale stone, neon lights crawling up and down the glass walls of its skyscrapers. They were on one of the central ring roads, spiraling inward through municipal buildings toward the palace itself. Properly, it was more of a city within a city than a palace. By statistics, it had several hundred thousand inhabitants, all of whom were responsible in some minute fashion for the functioning of the empire, from the gardeners on up to Sixth Direction himself. Each of them plugged into the information network that was guaranteed to imperial citizens and every last one bathed in a constant flow of data that told them where to be, what to do, how the story of their day and week and epoch would go. Three Seagrass had an excellent voice. She was reciting The Buildings, a 17,000-line poem which described the city's architecture. Mahit didn't know the precise version she'd picked to declaim, but that might have been Mahit's own fault. She had her own favorite narrative poems from the Teixkalanli canon, and she'd memorized as many of them as she could in imitation of Teixkalanli literati, and to pass the oral portions of the examinations. But the buildings had always seemed too dull to bother with. It was different now, hearing three seagrass recite it as they passed the structures being described. She was a fluent orator, and she had enough command of the metrical scheme to add amusing and relevant original detail where improvisation was appropriate. Mahit folded her hands across her lap and watched the poetry going by through the glass windows of the ground car. This was the city, then. The jewel of the world. The heart of the empire. A collapse between narrative and perception. Three seagrass making adjustments on the fly to the canonical buildings when some building had changed. After some time, she realized that Yaskander was reciting along with three seagrass, a dim whisper in the back of her mind, and also that she found the whisper reassuring. He knew this poem, and thus she knew it too, if she needed to know it.
That was what imago lines were for, after all. Making sure useful memory was preserved generation to generation. They traveled through 45 minutes and two traffic snarls before Three Seagrass concluded her stanza and stopped the ground car at the base of a needle-like pillar of a building, quite near the center of the palace grounds. Judiciary complex, Yaskander said. Good sign or bad sign? Mahid asked him. It depends. I wonder what I did. Something illegal? Come on, Yaskander. Give me a general sense of the possibilities here. What would you do to get yourself thrown in jail? Mahid got the impression of Yaskander sighing at her, but also the queasy sensation of someone else's nervousness setting off her adrenal glands. Mmm, sedition, mostly. She wished she could be sure he was joking. Surrounding the pillar of the judiciary was a perimeter of gray-uniformed guards, clustered more closely at the door, a security checkpoint. The guards carried long, slim, dark gray sticks, rather than the energy weapons that the Tixkalanli legions favored. Mahit had seen a lot of the latter on Ascension's Red Harvest, but not these. Shock sticks, Iskander said. Electricity-based crowd control. These were not here when I was last here. They're anti-riot gear, or at least they are in tabloid entertainments. You're 15 years out of date, Mahit thought. A lot might have changed. This is the center of the palace. If they're worried about riots at the judiciary, something hasn't changed. Something is wrong. Now go find out what I did. Mahit wondered what had gone sufficiently wrong to create security theater at the door of the judiciary. And if Yaskander had helped it go that wrong, felt prickles go up the back of her spine and down through her arms, the ulnar nerves crawling unpleasantly, and then had no time for more distressing reflection as three seagrass was escorting her through. She offered up her thumbprints as well as Mahit's and stood with her eyes politely averted as a Tixkalanli security guard padded chastely at the pockets of Mahit's traveling jacket and her trousers. Her luggage was decorously placed in their custody, and she was promised that she could have it back on her way out. Once the guard was done breaking all of Mahit's personal space taboos, she advised Mahit to avoid wandering off without escort, as her identity was neither recorded on Cloudhook nor otherwise authorized to be present within the judiciary. Mahit raised an inquiring eyebrow at Three Seagrass. There were questions of speed, Three Seagrass said, proceeding briskly through a multiplicity of irising doors into a cool, slate-floored interior toward the elevator bank. Your registration and permission to move about the palace complex will, of course, be taken care of as soon as is possible. Mahit said, I've been in transit more than a month, and there are questions of speed. We have been waiting for three months, Ambassador, since we sent for a new representative from the station. I must have done something quite spectacular, Iskander said. Down below are secret courts and interrogation chambers, or so the palace rumors always went. The elevator chimed in fourths. And one more hour matters, after three months? Three Seagrass gestured for Mahit to precede her into the elevator. 
which was a sort of answer, if not an informative one. They descended. Waiting for them below was a chamber that could have been a courtroom or an operating theater. Blue metal floor and amphitheater-style benches arrayed around a high table, on which lay some large object covered in a sheet. Floodlights. Three Texcalanli strangers, all broad-cheekboned and broad-shouldered, one in a red cassock, one dressed identically to three seagrass in the orange and cream of the information ministry, and one in a dark gray suit that reminded Mahit of nothing so much as the metal sheen of the shock sticks. They stood around the table, arguing in low, rapid voices, and blocked Mahit's view of whatever was lying on it. I still would like to make my own examination from my ministry before he's returned, said the information ministry courtier, annoyed. There's not a single good reason to just turn him back over to them, the takes Kalan Leedslam in red said, with some finality. It won't do us any good, and might spark an incident. Dark Gray Suit disagreed. Contrary to the opinions of your ministry, Explanato, I am entirely certain that any incident they could induce wouldn't be more trouble than an insect bite, and as easily soothed. Oh, for fuck's sake, argue later, said the one from information. They're here. The man in red turned toward them as they entered, as if he had been anticipating their arrival. The ceiling was a low dome. Mahit thought of a bubble of gas trapped under the earth. Then she understood the shape on the table as a corpse. It lay under a thin sheet, drawn midway up its bare torso, hands resting on its chest, fingertips touching, as if it was preparing to greet some afterlife. Its cheeks were sunken, and its open eyes were filmed over with a hazy blue. The same color had infiltrated its lips and nail beds. It looked like it had been dead a long time, perhaps three months. As clearly as if he had been standing next to her, Mahit heard Yiskander say, I got old, with wondering horror. She was shaking. Her heart raced, drowning out the sound of three seagrass introducing her. A dizzying rush, worse than falling toward the planet, panic out of nowhere. Not her panic, Yasconders, her imigo flooding her with her own stress hormones, enough adrenaline to taste metallic. The mouth of the corpse was slack, but she could see the smile lines at its corners, feel on her own mouth how Yasconders' muscles would have formed them over time. As you see, Ambassador Dismal, said the man in red, whose name Mahit had completely failed to catch during the introductions. A new ambassador was necessary. I apologize for preserving him in this fashion, but we did not want to disrespect any funereal processes which your people might prefer. She came closer. The corpse stayed dead, stayed still and limp and empty. Fuck, Yaskander said, a fizz of nauseating static. Mahit was horribly, helplessly sure she was going to throw up. Oh, fuck, I can't do this. Mahit thought, or Yaskander thought, she was having trouble keeping them apart, and this wasn't how the integration was supposed to go, 
She was never supposed to be lost inside his biochemical panic response, hijacking her own endocrine system, about how the only place that Yaskander existed now was inside her head. She considered that he was dead when Teixcalan had demanded a new ambassador, thought about it intellectually, planned for it, and yet, here he was, a corpse, a hollow, rotting shell. And she was panicking because her imigo was panicking, and an emotion spike was the easiest way to fuck up an integration that wasn't finished. An emotion spike would burn out all the tiny microcircuits in the machine in her mind, and oh, fuck, he was dead, and oh, fuck, I am dead, and the blur, the nauseating blur of everything. Yaskander, she tried, aiming for comfort and missing by a long distance. Get closer, he told her. I need to see. I'm not sure. He moved them before she could decide to do what he asked. It was like she'd blacked out for the space of time it took to approach the corpse, blinked, and was there. And this was going so very, very awry, and she couldn't stop it. We burn our dead, she said, and didn't know who to thank for the fact that she'd said it in the right language. How interesting a custom, said the courtier in dark gray. Mahit thought he was from the judiciary itself, this was likely to be his morgue, even if it was the man in red who was the mortician. Mahit smiled at him, too wide for her face and too uncontrolled for Yaskander's, an expression that'd horrify any serene takes Kalan Lietzlem. Afterward, she said, searching for the correct vocabulary, a spar to cling to through the roiling waves of adrenaline, we eat the ashes as a sacred thing, his children and successors first, if he had any. The courtier had the grace to blanch and the stubbornness to repeat himself. How interesting a custom. What do you do with yours? Mahid asked. She came nearer Yaskander's corpse, drifting. Her mouth seemed to be under her control for the moment but her feet belong to Yaskander. Excuse my inquiry, I am, after all, not a citizen. The man in red said, Burial is common, as if it was a question he answered every day. Do you wish to examine the body, Ambassador? Is there some reason I should do so? Mahit said, but she was already pulling down the sheet. Her fingers were sweating. Slick on the fabric. Underneath, the corpse was naked. A fortyish man, with all of his skin tinged that same blue at its most translucent points. An injectable preservative, all through him. The injection points were strikingly visible, holes surrounded by a halo of pale, swollen flesh, at the carotid and in the ulnar veins of both arms. There was an extra injection site at the base of the corpse's right thumb, distorting the shape of the hand. She found herself staring at it in another one of those blanked out moments. She'd been looking at his face, and now she was looking at his wrist, as if the imago needed to see every place his former body had been altered. Even if Mahit had wanted to claim her rights as his successor to the dust of his flesh, and she wasn't sure she wanted to, she thought that it might be a very stupid idea to ingest 
whatever the man in red had filled him up with. Three months, without rotting. She could taste bile in her throat, under the metallic endocrine cascade. Bodies should decompose and be recycled. But the Empire preserved everything, told the same stories over and over again. Why not also preserve flesh instead of rendering it up for decent use? She was touching the wrist, the imago tracing her fingertip over the injection site, and then further into the palm, following the line of some scar. The flesh was rubbery, plasticky, too much give and not enough all at once. Her Yaskander hadn't gotten that scar yet. Her Yaskander wasn't dead yet. There was another one of those dizzying, nauseous waves, the edges of her vision irising to fizz and sparks, and she thought again, we are going to blow out all the circuitry. Stop it! I can't! Yaskander said again. An enormous negation inside her mind, an avulsion that felt like a spark gone to ground. And then he was gone. Dead quiet, not even the feeling of him watching through Mahit's eyes. She felt gravity less, full of endorphins she hadn't produced on purpose, and horribly alone. Her tongue was heavy. It tasted like aluminum. Nothing like this had ever happened to her before. How did he die? She asked, and was amazed that she sounded entirely normal, entirely unfazed asked for the sake of continuing to talk. None of the takes Kalanli knew about Imigos. None of them would even be able to understand what had just happened to her. He choked on the air, the man in red said, touching the corpse's neck with a practiced span of two fingers. His throat closed. It was very unfortunate, but the physiologies of non-citizens are often so different from ours. He ate something he was allergic to? Mahid asked. This seemed absurd. She was shock numb, and apparently Yaskander had died of anaphylaxis, and if she wasn't careful, she was going to have a hysterical laughing fit. At dinner with the Minister for Science, Ten Pearl, no less, said the last courtier, the one from information. This one looked like he'd climbed out of a classical Texcalanli painting. His features were unbelievably symmetrical. Lush mouth, low forehead, perfectly hooked nose, eyes like deep brown pools. You should have seen the news feeds afterward, Ambassador. It was quite the tabloid story. Twelve azalea means no disrespect, said Three Seagrass, from where she stood by the door. The news went no farther than the palace complex. It would be inappropriate for the general population. Mahit pulled the sheet back up to the corpse's chin. It didn't help. He was still there. Was the story also inappropriate for the stations? She asked. The courier who asked for my service within the city was unnecessarily vague. Three Seagrass shrugged, a minute shift of one shoulder. Ambassador, while I am a secreta, not every Asecreta is privy to the decisions of the Information Ministry as a whole. What would you like done with his body? Inquired the man in red. Mahit looked up at him. He was tall, 
before it takes Kalan Leedslim. His eyes, an unnervingly friendly green, were almost even with hers. She had no idea what to do with a corpse. She had never burnt anyone herself. She was too young. Her parents were both still living. And besides, what you did was you called the funeral manager and they handled it, preferably while someone you loved held your hand and cried with you over the mutual loss. She had less idea what to do with this corpse. No one was going to cry over Yaskander, even her. And there weren't any funeral managers in Takes Kalanli's space who would know where to begin. She managed, nothing yet, and swallowed hard against the remains of the nausea. Her fingers felt electric, all prickle shimmer, where they had touched the dead man's skin. I will, of course, make arrangements once I am better acquainted with the facilities available. Until then, well, he's not going to rot, is he? Only very slowly, the man in red said. Sir, Mahit looked to three seagrass for help. She was a cultural liaison, so she could damn well liaise. Explanatal four lever, three seagrass said obligingly, of the science ministry. Four lever, Mahit went on, dropping the man's title. It meant scientist in a very general sense. Scientist with credentials. Entirely on purpose. When will the rot be noticeable? Another two months, perhaps? Four Lever smiled enough to show off a sliver of teeth. Two years, Ambassador. Excellent, Mahit said. That will be plenty of time. Four Lever bowed over the triangular press of his fingertips, as if she'd given him an order. Mahit suspected she was being indulged. She'd take it. She had to. She needed space enough to think, and she wasn't going to get it here in the bowels of the judiciary with three courtiers and an explanatal morgue attendant, all waiting for her to make some irrevocable error and end up like Yaskander had. Betrayed by his own physiology. After 20 years of living in the city, eating what the takes Kalan Leedslim ate. Did she believe it? Yaskander. She thought at the blank space where the imigo ought to be. What did you get us into before you died? He didn't answer. Reaching for the blank spot made her feel like she was falling, even though she knew her feet were steady on the floor. I would like, said Mahit to three seagrass, slow and even and in the correct language, trying to hide the vertigo and the fear. To be registered? as the legal ambassador from the stations to Texcalan, and also to see my luggage. She wanted to get out of here, as fast as possible. Naturally, ambassador, said three seagrass. Explanatel, twelve azalea, twenty-nine infograph. As ever, your company is a pleasure. As is yours, three seagrass, said twelve azalea. Enjoy the ambassador. Three Seagrass did that one shoulder shrug again, as if nothing anyone had said could affect an secreta of the court in a fashion that mattered. Mahit liked her, abruptly, and was aware that the liking was more of a desperate grasp at an ally than anything else. She was so alone, without the imigo talking to her. 
surely he'd come back in a moment. Once the shock was over, once the emotion spike had faded, it was fine. She was fine. She wasn't even dizzy anymore. Shall we, then? She said. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of A Memory Called Empire wherever books or audiobooks are sold. We hope you're enjoying this season. Please tell us what you think by filling out a quick survey with your feedback. Just go to bit.ly slash surveys from among the stars. That's bit.ly slash surveys from among the stars. Thank you.